load the plates and lift the weights And we are mates and weights are great And as of late we pontificate about the weights And make a podcast! Sumo is cheating! This is Weekly Weights with Alex and Will Cabalet West Sorry? I, I, I like put myself really on the spot And I had to say something kablammy-ish that sounded nothing Kablami-ish. Kablai Ka- West. Kablai yeah. West? What, what like on Kanye earth is that? Kanye West, but Kablami. Rubbish. Okay. Well, really bad. <laughs> that's, probably, that's honestly probably the worst Kablamo variation we've had so far. It Easily. is Weekly Weights. Um, episode 78, Weekly 70, Weights. 78. 78. Yeah, Where are you, mates? 40. Listen to the boys. Um, and today we're going to do... We're taking ourselves back to the actual reason we started this podcast initially, which is some case study stuff um, where just as coaches, we engage in some reflective practice. Um, And this one's of particular interest to me because it's something in Alex's approach to programming some of his athletes that has changed. And he he actually, on your Instagram Q&A yesterday, you made a point of mentioning that you've begun pushing athletes a little bit more in their off-seasons. Um. So, so it's something that I wanted to explore both for my own benefit as a coach and because right now you're coaching me, so I want to figure out how hard I should actually work. Oh, you, you won't get to do a block like this because we didn't have enough time, but yeah. Well, I mean, on the plus side, I also wouldn't work hard if you asked me to. Um, That's rude. I'm all show no go, man. Like you walk around the gym with a physique like mine and people think, far out, this guy must be serious. But no, he's not serious. I yeah, can tell well, you that much. You're like, bro, I'm going to score 260 and then 225 was hard on Monday, so... Hey, you know, that's you the thing. Can you sort it, it out? stays hard. I'd um, like to win this competition if possible. Well, I would be hedging your bets very severely by probably putting some money on JPS at this rate. Um, anyway, we will dive into the analysis, but prior to diving into the analysis, we need to tick off the very important subject of what's annoyed me on fitness social media this week. And the last two weeks, I've said things that actually like deeply offend me. So, offend? Is that the right word? Yeah, honestly, I have a visceral dislike for people and content um, to do with like animal-based self-aggrandizing lifting memes. Genuinely hate it. Likewise, I really don't don't like people who respond just inane things to posts. This one's only a mild annoyance to me, but it's it's still like pretty annoying. People who don't trim their setup for a real just run-of-the-mill training videos. Oh, my God. I'm a... Oh. Goodness me. Okay, so Alex is recording me saying that. I I put a story up about this the other day. Yeah. Did you see that? No, I didn't. It was like a PSA, public service announcement. Yeah. I, like, that, I honestly didn't know that's what it stood for. I thought that stood for Powerlifting Sports Australia. Nice. Okay, yeah. PSA, public service <laughs> announcement. It was like, trim your sets, mate. No one gives a fuck about your setup. Look... Here's the thing. The Especially reason- on stories. Like, I understand oh. if you're sending a video to a coach and it's like they might want to see the start of your bench setup or they might want to see how you unrack and walk the bar out for squats. Mm. But, like, outside of that, come on. Yeah, and, like, particularly for stories, it's like if you're posting a set of five on your story and you trim it properly, you can normally get a set of five down to, like, 15 seconds or you can probably get down to, like, the first three or four reps or something. So it's, like, the stuff people want to see in one story. And if you have two stories where the first story actually has your first two reps of the set, but 12 seconds of you messing about, and the second story has the rest, it's like you've lost me by the end of the first story, so I'm going to skip the second anyway. Even, so, even worse is top single and it's three stories. 
Yeah, no. It's like, <laughs> what are you doing? But the reason, the reason this one doesn't like truly offend me in the same way as the other ones is that there are times when I think it's appropriate to show your setup. So I think if people are doing like a competition recap and there's a particular significant lift and they want to put that video out in its entirety, it's good. It creates a sense of atmosphere, like it matters. You know, it's that's okay. It's evocative. Yeah, if there's like a sick back slap and like a everyone yelling at you kind of G-up thing, sure. Yeah, it's entirely analogous to like long ambient intros to dance songs. You know what I mean? Where like you're waiting for the beat to drop, waiting for the beat to drop, waiting for the beat to drop and then it does and it's sick. But, like, you don't do that for every song. Like, plenty of songs go really well just hitting you hard from beat one, you know? You know what else is awesome? What? Is when you get that pre-lift hype and then they skip the whole getting under the bar, walking it out business. Oh, yeah, And yeah. just goes pre-lift hype, then the lift immediately. What you need is, like, their... You, need, you just need to go into your phone and go into search and type in iMovie and then learn how to edit videos. Uh, yeah, I was going to say I like <laughs> it when they superimpose the, like... You know, the kind of like the lightning flash um, editing tool where it's like you're doing something and then whoosh, something else is happening and whoosh, suddenly you're actually about to squat. It's so good. Like you walk into the bar, you see hype, whoosh, you're under the bar, you see hype, whoosh, they start the descent. That's great. We need to talk to Brandon about some special effects. <laughs> yeah, we honestly should. Brandon is a talented videographer. Um, the videographer of the best new page on Instagram, official ratings, boys. Is it new? Newish. Um where Brandon and myself rate things in a really systematic way and just let you guys know what's good and bad out there. Anyway, that's enough of a preamble. Trim your videos, please. To my clients, like, God help me, please trim your videos. Um, moving on to the actual topic of today, which is comparing two off-season strength programs um, for an athlete. I think we've actually come off on the wrong foot a couple of times in our prior analysis videos. because Oh, not videos, analysis podcast episodes. I'll tell you why, Alex. Um, we normally jump right into talking about training variables, which obviously like from an analytical standpoint, looking at a program is important, but when we actually write a program, we don't, we don't start by thinking volume. We start by saying, what is the purpose of what we're trying to achieve? Like from a purely just subjective standpoint, what are we actually going to do here? And once we've got like a defined purpose and objective, then we say, okay, well now how do we shape a program to that? Yeah. It's like we have broad, broad brush strokes of like, purpose like you said but also timeline i think is very important yeah and that's going to be the biggest difference between these two blocks here yeah do you want me to go into that now no i think um i think firstly let's talk super broadly what are we trying to achieve in the two programs here where are they the same and where are they different so i guess to answer that question we do need to talk about timeline go so in program version a so the general strength block so that'll be the tab to the left of the program um that's sort of for someone just doing like a couple of blocks of hypertrophy then going into a competition prep and this will be their sort of first quote-unquote strength block of their competition phase mm-hmm. and then sort of after this phase would be like four to eight weeks of a, of a competition phase so this is like where you're reintroducing competition lifts or yeah. or at least starting to load them appreciably if you have been doing them yeah that's right and in the other version that would be after a very long off season where we kind of don't really know where their lifts are at and we want to have a look. And in this second version, um, again, we'll get into the details when we get to them, but in this second one, is that something where it's followed prior exposure to the competition lifts or would you jump straight into something like this if you think they're just ready to see where they're going? Yeah, so in the second um, example, it might be like we do 12 weeks of bodybuilding training, then 
two back-to-back blocks of the comp lifts at higher volumes, mm-hmm. and then we'd go into something like this. Right. Okay. Before, again, like a four to eight week competition prep. Okay. And then if we just talk about a global objective, the first one is is almost like preparing you for the rigors of competition prep. It's preparing you for some later pushing and introducing you to the lifts. Yep. Whereas the second one is almost like a range finding block where you're saying we want to do productive work to get you stronger, but we also need to start getting an indication of what our prior work has yielded. Yeah, it's, it is an indication of what we've done in the previous 16 to 20 weeks right. leading before it. But it's also a bit of fun and it should be a time where we can hit a few rep PBs have a bit of a laugh, kind of go in and train really, really hard. So what you just said then actually leads me to my next subjective question, which is which is, what are the differences from an athlete perspective that you would expect somebody to have approaching this, like, you know, in terms of, yeah, mindset, attitude to training and what they're thinking about when they come in session to session? Um, I don't think they're too different because in when we go into actually analyzing the differences between the programs, they're not very different. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the main work is actually the same. But in the push example program, it's just one set per week where we're kind of pushing them to see where we're at. And it's not that we have to approach the whole program differently. I think it's just that one set where we have to turn up and switch on and really just like treat it like competition prep. Right. I was going to say that is that one set though is still subtly different because it can be very easy in like off season phases whether or not this is for the good, it can be very easy to show up and say, okay, I'm doing a whole bunch of work that I know is achievable. I can just tick the boxes. I can be very meticulous about my technique, but you know this doesn't require a high level of arousal or anything. Whereas when you do start pushing up from that submaximal work into work that is genuinely towards the limits of your abilities, you actually need to focus less on technique to free yourself up and do well. And you also need to create that level of arousal that helps you perform. Yeah, that's right. So there is something slightly different in your mindset approaching a session for that. I certainly know when I used to train, when I was training with Adonis um, and we would often have, you know, top sets, I'd be driving to the gym, actually getting a little bit amped and trying to put myself in the mindset that said, okay, I'm ready to actually do something to push. Whereas now often I see what's on my program for the next day and I go like oh okay you know I can do that with my eyes shut so I just drive to the gym and then start mobilizing and it's only when I actually have the load on the bar that I have to work with that I start thinking about having to work yeah you know? and and even in this the context of this program it's only really the last week that should be genuinely really really hard right so I guess if we're looking at it from a mental like arousal standpoint we only really need to get to our quote-unquote place for that last week for that one set or two sets yeah it is nice though i think having that carrot dangling ahead of you yeah and particularly when you do do a lot of submaximal work um and maybe this is a stylistic stylistic discussion we can have at the end i guess but when you do do a lot of very submaximal work whereas like pbs are a long way in the future it can be harder to get really excited whereas when you say like every step in this program is taking me towards something that is meaningful because like you said those push sets at the end of the program are like their summation of what you've achieved in the prior 20 weeks or even just four weeks. When you have that dangling in front of you, it sort of says like, okay, I'm going to approach this very seriously. I'm going to do something to push here because that will be meaningful and I want to make sure I'm laying the foundation for it. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a conversation that I had with um, Potsy recently because he did two blocks similar to this one um, back to back. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of struggling a little bit with his mental arousal and trying to get to the right mindset before the big sessions and he wasn't really sure how to sort of taper that based on the week that we were in or the um, particular session that we we're in and I said to him like uh, man like you can see in week four like that's going to be the hard week so you can kind of taper your arousal as the weeks go on you can start at 60% arousal then 75 90 then 100 for the last week 
What's um, the downside to you of saying like I'm going to attack week one with maximum intent and just like like get aroused, move that weight really quickly, and just do it then? What's the problem? I think it's just the mental burnout. It's very taxing to go in and kind of be a hundred percent all in all the time. Mm-hmm. And this is only like a four week block, so you probably could get away with it. But if you're someone who kind of tires easily and that kind of thing, like I know if that was me, I would burn out by week four and I'd probably struggle to hit the reps. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Potsy was asking me like, man, why don't you send me one week at a time so that I can just kind of focus on that week at a time? And it's like, well, I want you to see that the stepping stones to the final week. Well, my program templates have already been made and I really don't yeah, want to have gonna, to alter them. I'm not going to go... Don't have I'm to not, hide columns. Yeah, I'm not going to go right-click hide. <laughs> go on. Yeah, that's, that's really it. So I kind of wanted him to see like where this block is heading. Yeah. So he can kind of taper his arousal and his expectations to the last week. Yeah. Okay, so we've basically, from my perspective anyway, we've we've covered the subjective similarities and differences. So, so both of them are general strength building blocks. One is more an introduction to strength work, whereas one is trying to capitalize on that strength work. And from a psychology standpoint, although your basic approach to training might need to be similar, the the push one is going to make some more demands on you to like find your correct levels of arousal and actually free up your performance. Um, can you just give us a very quick outline of what the programs look like? So what are the main lifts on each day? And then what what the accessory slots are? We don't need to go into much detail, just provided we know what we're touching on. Yeah, so uh, both programs, day one is competition squat, um, which the first two weeks is sets of six, and then the last two weeks sets of five. Um, then we have our uh, technique bench variation, which I've chosen chosen tempo pause bench so this could be long pause bench could be spotters could be anything could be feet up tempos could be anything that addresses the particular lifters issues Mm -hmm. but i've chosen tempo pause bench i think that is a staple that i use for a lot of my lifters and i think it sorts out a lot of issues um and then we've got two back exercises one horizontal one vertical and then some rear delts and biceps Day two, competition bench, and same as competition squat, we have the first week of sets of six, the second two weeks of sets of five. Then we've got the competition deadlift pause. So if you are a sumo lifter, you'll do sumo pauses. If you're a conventional lifter, you'll do conventional pauses. Then we have a dumbbell press variation, some hamstring isolation, and some pecs and arms. Day three, we have pause competition squats, which starts off as sets of five and then finishes sets of four. Um, some single leg uh, lunge split squat variation again horizontal and vertical back exercise each and some quad extra quad work then competition deadlift on the final day uh, sets of six leading into sets of five and then the secondary bench day which is feet up pause bench and again this could be anything that suits the particular lifter it could be bench again lighter or it could be bench again high volume it could be touch and go bench it could be incline bench it could be overhead press whatever this in this program this is just secondary like volume work it's not a technique variation specifically yeah it's just a slightly easier day than the first day and because we're obviously dealing with a female in this context we do want to push the bench press harder a little bit more frequently okay um then we've got a dumbbell dumbbell press variation again and then we've got uh good morning slash hip thrust slash back extensions so hip extension another hip extension variation um, and then some more triceps and biceps. Okay, so I did actually jump the gun here. Um, for the sake of this program, we're assuming a hypothetical lifter um, 
And yeah, we completely forgot that part. That's very important. Yep. So it's a 64 kilogram female who's a high level intermediate with best lifts of 150, 80, 170. So that's a 400 kilo total. Um, and what have you written else at the top here? At so, the end of this yeah, block? at the end of this block, she'll be six weeks out from her meet. Okay, so that's the case for the general strength one. Yeah, is but that for also both. the case of the push phase? Yeah, okay. Same. So, are there any actual structural differences in the push phase one, um, just in terms of where the work is distributed? The work is distributed exactly the same. It's just the differences are. Um, so, I'll go through the differences now. So, there's a top set for the comp squat, comp bench, and comp deadlift, mm-hmm. and that's a range of three to five reps. Um, which is roughly 10% heavier than the uh, back-off work. And the back-off work is the same as in the general program, just minus one set. So obviously we're getting the same total number of sets, we're just getting one heavier set in the push program. Yep. Um, for the secondary uh, exercises, they are slightly lighter in the push phase, and that is to allow for recovery between sessions so that we can hit the top reps for the harder sessions, basically. Right, okay. So... Although you've said that's the that's the main difference and that, that is the main difference is when you look at the programs, I do still want to talk about the, the training principles individually and like kind of rationalize why the differences have or haven't emerged. So the first one I want to address is frequency. Um, I know you prefer VIF, but we're going FIV today. So we're going to talk about frequency. Um, and the first thing I wrote down was differences, question mark. So on the face of things, no difference. You're doing all the same movement patterns the same number of times. Yep, no differences. Um but within frequency, we can start to consider like the intensity, volume, or relative difficulty of sessions as well, or like how frequent overloading sessions are. So are there differences in these two programs in how specific the loading would be? Um, meaning like are you, are, you distributing, are you distributing work such to make your heaviest sessions performance as good as they can be? Or are you letting them accumulate fatigue across the block and you know and just letting them like wash that away later and get better what are you trying to see so in the general strength block we are looking to accumulate fatigue across the block so everything will get harder mm-hmm. and the same applies for the push phase as well but things are just um sort of changed a little bit to allow for better performance on the harder sessions in the push phase so like i said earlier um the secondary day for the squat so the, that poor squat day on day three it's five kilos lighter right. than in the general strength block. And five kilos in the context of this uh, 150 squatter, is that correct? Five kilos is meaningful, but it's not a massive difference. Yeah, it's only a small difference because the difference in the um, heavy day is only small. It's one set, 10% heavier right. between three to five reps. So it could actually be slightly less volume. So, so you might describe it as still being two squats, two deadlifts, four benches. Yeah, or three benches, three yeah. Three benches. But the... The differences are very small, and that's why the differences in both are small. So yep. it's slightly ha- harder on the hard day, and then only slightly easier on the secondary day. Yeah, but like as in, it's not one hard, one very easy. It's, yeah, that's right. It's it's gone from you know hard, medium, hard yep. to hard, Moderate. medium. Yep. More, yeah, yeah. So we still want to get in a meaningful amount of work on both days, right? Because we're not in the phase where we need to sort of have maximum performance on the hard day like we would in a comp like we would in a comp peak like we're not hitting those heavy singles and doubles and stuff yet yeah so we can kind of lay off that yet and still get in some quality work on the secondary day in the case of a lifter who was either even more highly qualified or just much stronger so say this woman was a 120 kilo male who squatted 340 or something like that like really strong um in that instance do you think 
in order to have a successful phase where you were doing pushing, you would need more undulation or... Um, but I don't just mean in absolute terms. I mean relative to a general developmental block. Yeah, absolutely. So I think in, even in a general developmental block, someone who squats 340 healers can probably only have one overloading session anyway. Yeah, usually. But Unless I think, you're Jezza. Yeah, well, yeah, he's, he's unbelievable. Um, so I think with that said, the push session, uh, the push program would look even greater as a disparity from heavy to light. Yeah. So like the, there's only a five kilo difference between, uh, what's that in percentages? Five kilos of one fifty. Like three and a bit, three. Yeah. And a half. So we might be looking at like seven to ten percent right. of a difference um, between general and push phase for someone much more qualified. Yep. But the other difference for someone much more qualified would be you would probably put this phase in much earlier. Yeah. Because we would need longer to peak them for the meet. Yeah, and also then, probably the cost of doing those very hard sessions at the end of the block might be higher in terms of fatigue. Yeah, we might need a whole week deload, then an intro week instead of just an intro week before um, the comp prep starts. Sure. Okay, so if we just sum up frequency in this program, the template is the same. The relative difficulty of the sessions changes a little bit, but because the overarching goal here is still strength development as a, as opposed to strength realisation, we don't have a massive level of undulation. Yep. Just a little bit more. Okay, Um intensity so what what are the differences in peak intensities across the two programs for them and it can be in numerical terms or just in relative terms okay so uh we'll go to the squat first so four sets of five at 125 for the general that's week four yep you said peak intensity yep so that is 83 percent one rm for four by five so that's pretty reasonable it's certainly manageable and it's definitely going to have an effect yeah it's tough work it's tough work but it's manageable for 95 percent of people yeah with this qualification um in the push phase where we've got should actually go into the optional set thing yeah yeah sure okay so in the final week for each of the lifts we've got um a top set which peaks at uh for the squat at 93% for three to five reps. So that's really hard work. Yep. Um, but then there's an optional set immediately afterwards, another five kilos heavier. So if right. you do get five, you go again and you have a chance to do another five kilos heavier for three to five. Right. And so obviously that, we're basing these percentages off of prior comp results. You're saying this might come 20 weeks after, like uh, after 20 weeks of development work in which, like, you know, if somebody's hitting five five reps, it's not likely to actually be 95% of their one rep max. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that's why we do this. Yeah, so they've done all that work um, which leads to this which leads to this place mm-hmm. which then gives us an indication of maybe how far they've come. Right. So if they do hit 145 for five, which would be 96.5% for a set of five, their max is certainly not 150. It's probably closer to 160. Yeah. So, so the peak intensity in the general strength building program is somewhere in that bread and butter range. It's like 82%. Yeah. The peak intensity of the pushing one is much closer to a 1RM because that gives you a better indication of where the 1RM is currently sitting. Yeah, that's right. But okay. also the back offsets are two and a half kilos heavier. Right. So the three, it's a three by five at 127 and a half, where in the other program, it's a four by five at 125. So slightly heavier, uh, one less set. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, around 84%. Do you think it's necessary for the back off work to also scale with this stuff? Like, would there ever be a time where you might just keep the back off work much easier and just have the indicator sets that are hard? Well, when we go back to like what the context of the pro- of the two different programs are, 
in the first example, they've only done a few weeks of base building stuff. So they mm-hmm. probably haven't progressed as much. So in the second example, they've progressed a little bit more. So they're probably able to hit a little bit more. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess it's it's kind of a reflection of the progress that the lift has made, not necessarily the program itself. I think this is one of those topics where my own thoughts are going in different directions because I'm, I see the value in pushing people very hard um, in off-season phases because there's no great cost. Like if you don't have to be performing your best in three weeks' time, it doesn't matter if the work you're doing now is accumulating quite a bit of fatigue provided that you can actually get better chronically from doing it. Yeah. Um, so in some ways I see that, but I'm, I also, I'm having this inkling that, that the strength gains people make from sessions are often, are often like largely related to the peak intensities that they hit provided that the volume work they do sort of sits above a threshold of like productive work. So if you get somebody and they do like a, a good top set of five, the back off fives they do after that don't necessarily have to be grindily hard to still be very productive if they're doing like high quality contractions with a heavy weight. Yeah. You know? Agreed. Um, so sometimes were I to do something like this, I might think of having that hard set, but then not actually making the back off sets that much harder because I'll still I still believe they would contribute to strength meaningfully and they don't have to be harder. Yeah, I mean if we look at the the drop off in intensity, it's um it's 17 and a half kilos right, for someone who squats 150. So that's over 10%. So that's actually quite a big drop. Yeah. So if they are able to do 145 for five, which is probably unlikely, like we're probably looking at three for that yeah. set, um, then 127 and a half for fives immediately after. Yeah, you're going to be tired from the top set, but you'll be all right. You should probably be able to get through it anyway. And, well, even and, if they do that for three, then it's still like, what is that a... 12% drop or something yeah that's still a very substantial drop it's manageable yeah that's right like the whole point of this block is to really push you that's why it's called push block yeah like it really should be very difficult in the last week yeah as opposed to like easy block or yeah, you know like not gains for nothing block <laughs> my <Pull> block <laughs> yeah All so right. that so that's the squat yeah bench press very similar we've got um, except we've got an extra set for the bench um, obviously this is a female lifter going to need more volume for the bench than anything else um and even if it was a male lift i'd probably have an extra set in there anyway um so similar things numerically yeah similar things numerically a couple percent heavier for bench because we know that we can get through more work particularly females in the bench press recover from more and um, just do more reps at higher intensities and what about the deadlift are there is the structure the same or are there differences in peak intensity there uh, it's slightly lighter for the deadlift, same reasons as why the bench would be heavier. Um, hang on two seconds. Hang on. So, 120. We still do have this same sort of characteristic, like top set that pushes up across the f- um, across the four weeks with an optional final one. Yeah. So it's the same. It's the same thing. I actually forgot to edit the deadlift to make it slightly heavier for the um, push phases. So. When you guys get the program right now, it's wrong. But when you guys get it, it will say um, it will start the deadlifts at one twenty two and a half for the push block and one twenty for the um, general block. Right. Finishing at one thirty seven and a half for three by five. Yeah. And one thirty five for four by five in the other program. So what's that a peak of? Like seventy five percent ish for Hang on. Obviously, think, we're yeah, it's about eighty percent for for fives for the back offs and the top set being. Um, just above 90. Right, so so the, the last optional set of three to five is about 91%. And the way in which you and I contextualized that when we were just talking off air 
was that that's like slightly above an opener. So again, if you're pushing slightly above your last comps opener for three, four, or even five reps, then it's a very good indication that yeah. you've gotten stronger. That's right. Unless you love to open super duper light. Uh, but even so. All right. So if we were to sum up the picture when we're talking about peak and working intensities, it's one is exposing you to weights. Um, near max, so you have an indication of what peak strength is actually like, but both put the bread and butter work in the bread and butter strength gaining zone for the reasons that we spoke about. Yep. You've also, you began touching on undulation. Um, you began talking about undulation with the secondary, with the secondary variations. Um, and related to the concept of just dropping the intensity on those ones. So if you're doing, say, five sets of four or four sets of four on paused squats and you drop five kilos, you've also made a big reduction in proximity to failure. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, you could think of it as like you incur a debt in terms of having higher proximity to failure on your peak set on the main working day. And then you pay that debt back by having, did I say higher proximity to failure? That's really confusing terminology. You are closer to failure. And then in your secondary days, you are then further from failure, which probably has some important implications for how stressful the workouts are. How much of a difference would you expect across sets of like four and five, having that sort of three or 4% um, load drop would make in terms of how close people are to failure? This is a very general question. I actually think that the sessions would end up quite similarly difficult. Why is that? And that's because of the fatigue from the earlier session. And that's kind of the reason for dropping it is that we're expecting the RPE to be like in the six to seven range, right. regardless of which program we're looking at for the yep. secondary day. Um, and yeah, because because we're slightly fresher for the general strength block, it's going to be slightly, we're going to be able to handle a little bit more, more load for that same RPE. So if you, again, if we cast our mind back to the idea of like the highly qualified lifter or somebody who would burn out from higher intensities, if you actually wanted a reduction in RPE for those sessions, you would almost have to have like a disproportional decrease in the amount of work that you made them do. Yeah, so we'd, we'd probably be looking, like we said earlier, at a 7 to 10% drop in intensity and maybe even taking a set away. Yeah, because again, that echoes something that Matt Bartholomew said in his first visit on the podcast. How many times has he been on now? Two or three? Just two, yeah. Yeah, um, he co-hosted once. It was okay. <laughs> that got a lot of downloads that yeah. was a good episode yeah well Matt's got a lot of pull no he, he actually is he's very eloquent he was a very good podcast host kind of shitty because he's kind of doing the whole lifting thing better than me pretty good coach too hosts a podcast alright like you know don't know what I got that he's not got he's got a cute dog it's really pissing me off um, yeah your dog's very derpy <laughs> yeah he's very derpy um, massive Matt Bartholomew inferiority complex going on here um no, one thing he said in his first visit on the podcast was how um, how your perceptions of fatigue and difficulty can't always be tied to the absolute weight that's on the bar because he was finding when he when he was first introducing high frequencies of squatting, he would do a hard session and then he, he would do one later in the week, three or four days later, that was on paper just markedly easier, but it always felt much, much harder because of the fatigue that he'd accumulated um, and how that sometimes messed with him mentally because he'd ride these highs of performing really well in a hard session and then this low of being like, holy shit, I feel absolutely terrible doing work that I should chew through. Do I suck now? Um, and so I think part of like part of the art of coaching with programming, particularly like this, is like framing to lifters what your expectations are of how they might feel and how they might perform on the day and being able to let them sort of find wins in what might feel like a loss. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And another thing to say is like it's the lifter has an expectation of how difficult a session should be based on how it looks. Therefore, that is how they kind of frame their mental state going into it. 
Mm. And then that can kind of dictate how difficult something is. Yeah. So if you go into a session and it's five kilos lighter than any other example, you might go in it and attack it not as hard. Therefore, it's equally hard. Yeah. And then you get pied by work that you should be pieing. Yeah, exactly. And then it's like, get pied. <laughs> I don't know why that word just came to mind, but I had to throw it out on the podcast. That's from Geordie Shaw or something. <laughs> I think I think you I think you said that word to me once. You were telling me a story about somebody in a bar pieing you, and it was the funniest thing ever. Um, I'll, re- <laughs> I'll remind you. Mostly, it was funny because it made me think that you were saying they punched you in the face. Obviously, that evoked a really hilarious image to me. Um, so, proximity to failure overall we're maybe net equal but the yep. distribution of actually proximal to failure work is different yeah i think in the push phase it's um part of the reason that the the easy day is easier is so that we can mentally get up for the for the harder day mm-hmm. and then kind of pull back for the easier day it kind of manages manages our mental um, mental state a little bit better as well sure all right let's talk about volume so did you actually make any alterations to volume like overall volume between these two programs no other than other than the differences that the load changes would have on volume no so total set number is the same yeah that's right so again let's pursue the hypothetical are there instances in which you might think it's warranted to make those alterations yeah definitely for someone who um for someone who is uh, of a higher qualification, we're going to have less volume in the push phase. Like we may even take away one of the one of the back offsets. Yeah. Like that's something that I've done with Nick Walters. Like he'll have a top set of five and then only two back off fives. Mm-hmm. Versus if he was doing a str- general strength phase, he probably would do four by five. Yeah, um, and it would probably be ten percent lighter instead of two percent lighter. Again, with somebody like Nick Walters, though, when he does a four by five, the disparity between between his submaximal work that is productive and what a push workout might look like is also greater. Yeah, right? that, that's that's the ten percent drop that I meant between programs between push versus general strength. But no, no, no. I'm talking about I'm talking about your actual loading days. So, like, if Nick, what's his squat? Nearly three hundred. Two eighty two. Yeah. Okay. Two, let's just round it to two eighty. So, what would he do a normal four by five at? Um, he's done three fives at two twenty five. I think. So say say he was doing normal four by fives at two ten to two twenty five. But what do you reckon his best possible set of five might be? Uh, he did... He, uh, I don't know if he's done a top set of five. Well, like, let's just guess. He did say. 220 for five high bar, I think. Let's say it's 245 or something like that. Yeah, I like, think it's roughly that. Just purely hypothetically, say it is 10% better than what his, what his actual productive four by five might be. A trend that you might see or at least this is my impression, a trend that you might see across lifters is people with very high absolute strength. So maybe even think of Ray Williams as a complete hypothetical. Like Ray Williams could probably get good, do productive work doing like say 70% for sets of five. That would be really hard. Plenty of stress to induce adaptation for him. It's enough. Um, But he still might, actually I don't know if he could actually do 85% of his comp max for five, but say it would be, significantly 70 percent would be 345 for five which is just absolutely (laughs) nutty right so it might even be less that's my point like it might be 65 percent. whereas if you put a gun to his head maybe you do 80 or something or more for five whereas when you get people who tend to be lighter or who are less less strong in absolute terms like even for myself say i could like i could probably squat 225 for five 230 for five with a gun to my head like i've done 220 for five in the past it was fine so maybe i'd be somewhere in the in that region and realistically, I could do some fives at 210 and it would be fine. It would just be tough. 
and I might be able to do productive fives at 200 or something. Um, but it's certainly not like I could do 225 for five, but really productive work has to be at like 170 to 180 or else I burn out and die. Whereas when somebody's really, really strong, you might see a disparity more like that. And when somebody's less strong, the gap between the most they can do for five and the amount that they do productively for five is going to be narrower. Do you think that's true just thematically? Definitely. Yeah. Um, so that was what I was trying to highlight with that question there. Yeah. And like I got a question yesterday when I put up a programming Q&A on my Instagram. Um, how do we determine top sets versus back offs? And I said, you know, it's completely context dependent. If someone is, if someone is um, a small woman who squats 100, they might only have a five kilo drop off between their top single and their triples yeah whereas if you are a large man who squats 300 you might have a 50 kilo drop off between your top single and your triples yeah and also it like this and is like percentage wise it's not the same it's no. a huge difference percentage wise well this is something we've discussed prior on the podcast as well which is like it also depends on what the purpose of the top set is yeah. so for some of my lifters i'll give them top sets relatively early in a plan because I want to start exposing them to those slightly higher intensities, but I do really easy top sets. So like, say if you have a single at like 82% and then you're doing four sixes at 75% or something, that single's a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, say I'm thinking, well, there's a comp in eight weeks and I want you to start doing your actual singles at 87% or something. Like I'm making numbers up, but it might just be appropriate to have you just touching those weights, but you're not actually physically ready to do a lot of work work at those weights yet. Yeah, it's like an over-warm-up almost in that case. Yeah, exactly. Um, so again, when you're determining how heavy should your top sets be, it's like, well, why are you doing a top set and then figure it out? Yeah, like JP even had me doing that on my secondary squat day at one point. And yeah. it was like, I'd do a top single up to 190, which is like, what about it? Last warm-up? 80, no, Less. Second last warm-up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before doing like back off you know light squats and the purpose of that top single is completely different to the purpose of the top single on the heavy day so it's you know 30 percent light 30 kilos lighter or whatever the case is okay similarly um in terms of volume you haven't really made much difference in terms of how you undulate and distribute volume but i think we've pretty reasonably articulated when it might be appropriate to say pull back on the secondary day or even pull back on the primary day you know what we should do in in the I can write another one of these for like a 120 lifter if you want and we can do that next week. Maybe in a couple of weeks. I have okay. an idea for next week. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, obviously, guys, we're a highly organized outfit that <laughs> makes sure up oh, to six okay. weeks of content let's, is let's just Let's just pause for a second. Yeah. Huge shout out to Peak Speak. <laughs> for just... <laughs> you do it. For just straight ripping off all of our ideas. Like, we post... <laughs> We post a video, uh, a podcast about um, skill, skill acquisition and te- teaching and coaching technique. And then three on days Friday, later. and then on Monday, <laughs> there's a skill development podcast by Peak Speak, which is also a quarter of the length. Yeah, well, Cheryl obviously listened to like little snippets of it because he used some bloody car analogy. Yeah, I heard the car shit. analogy. I was like, you are having a fucking laugh, Cheryl. <laughs> And you know what's even better? Uh, you know what? While we're ripping into these guys, let's fucking rip into them. Guys, please message um, please message just Shero and Tombro7 on Instagram and just really let them know what we think. Shero, the four stages of learning model has been updated because environmental and contextual factors can make people move forward and backwards along those stages of development really readily. So it's not really, it's not a good thing to use as like a concrete developmental block 
model when talking about skill development. So yeah, just remember that. Thanks. Um, but then the second thing, Alex, and this is even more important, right when we were like, there might be a case of plagiarism going on from Australia's second best powerlifting podcast. What did they do? I'm trying to find it. Where? What, what did they do? They did this, right? Okay, they said, on. we're about to hit some paltry number of downloads like fifty thousand, yeah. way less than us something that we hit a year ago yeah, yeah probably like six months ago to be honest but, <laughs> but <laughs> and, and so they decided to do a surprise oh, q a yeah, that's right the, uh, yeah that's right quiz each other q a yeah, yeah and which i was we like, did in july yeah and so i messaged i messaged tom on the spot i sent a question into shero which would be great um it's it's weekly weights related but then then i messaged thomas and i was like excuse me mate like do you want me to just start sending you our content in advance you know what i'm gonna do the second we finish recording this episode i'm gonna forward those programs to thomas and say we spoke about the differences between these two today have at it boys and see if they do the episode that'd be absolutely mint that would be great it'll be 25 minutes where shara just says some shit about cars that's wrong and then they just hang the phones up and they're done they actually do have a very good podcast intro if I like now that I've roasted them for a bit I'm going to give them one small compliment they got Chad Wesley Smith as the ringside announcer and also they have a media team which we do not do they actually yeah they got some guy who does who edits for them oh really that's pretty cool yeah no I mean you can tell our podcast is shittily edited because I do it but we've just discovered the preset compressor functions I've just discovered yeah Alex discovered that because he didn't know how to manually compress so all that really bad compression you've heard for like eight months that was me thinking I was nailing it (laughs) And now Alex has realized there's a preset that does it so much better. So the quality is going to improve. Anyway. Where were we before we started ripping on Peak Speak? The, Honestly, I don't think it was anywhere near as important as that. Is it the third, is it the third best powerlifting podcast in Australia? Well, Apex Strength, their podcast was pretty good. Um, do they still do it? Doesn't matter. <laughs> it's better than Peak Speak. Um, yeah, it's probably it's it's top 10 powerlifting podcast in Australia. Probably. Maybe. I don't know who has time to listen to more than a few podcasts. Oh, there's... um. Warrior Performance has one. Okay, that's I've, I've never listened speak. to it. Doesn't matter. Probably um, better. Probably better. Yeah, I mean, JPS Health and Fitness, you could call their podcast powerlifting related. Yeah, nah, it's more body comp. Yeah, body comp. But, you know, they get, like, people on, they talk about strength. So, they're, like, they're just a little behind us. They're all right. Jacob's been saying that he was going to get us on for, like, a year. Yeah, he always says it. And then he messages me and goes, mate, I'd love to get you on, but whenever you're down here, Hayes is down here, and, like, you know, they're in Melbourne. And, you know, he'd be upset if I had you on and didn't have him on, and I'm just not really sure what to do about it. And I go, mate, don't worry. Just put it on ice. He'll forget. Speaking of... um, <laughs> I will forget. Um, yeah. Speaking of, speaking of peak speak. Yeah. Cheryl asked me on the podcast when we were in Canberra. Did he ask you on? No, you told me that he wanted me on the podcast and then I spoke to him in person and he didn't bring it up. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, he wanted me on. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Well, I drove home at like 9am on Sunday morning because I was sad and hungover, you remember? Yeah, I was coaching. Oh, okay. I had a like, dreadful night on the Saturday. Got very, very drunk. Went home quite late. Nice. Yeah, it was good. I had like 8am 8 8 a.m. Maccas in my full like Roadhog gear about to drive home in your PA coaching polo <laughs> yeah and then just got straight out of there alright we were talking about volume is where we were um, we've spoken about differences in undulation and distribution of volume um, the next one was something you also sort of alluded to earlier which is if you were gonna like would you ever do multiple pushing phases in a row you said Potsy's done two go on yeah so um, I had planned a push phase for Potsy um, and then we were gonna go into his comp prep but he absolutely obliterated his push phase and like his final week sets of five were or maybe sets of six were like RP eights. Um, even when he got a couple of extra sets. 
So I was like, fuck it, let's just run the whole thing again. Drop the reps back a little bit. And I think the top sets were triples. No, fives went. They didn't he squat 227 for five? Yeah, I think, sorry, his squats went to fives, his bench was triples, and his deadlifts were triples. Right. So he ended up um, 280 for three when his best comp deadlift was 277. He squatted 227.5 for five with a best comp squat of 245. And he benched 120 for two triples with a comp bench of 125. So, yeah. like, extremely, extremely productive running those two blocks in a row. And, like, I'm doing the same thing for Nick Walters currently, mm-hmm. um, except he has, like, week one is basically a deload every time because he's pretty rooted by the end of it. Yep. Um, and if this one goes well, we'll go again and do a third. But it's... You kind of run the push phase in, like... You ramp it up as the weeks go along, like I would in a normal block, and then you kind of pull it back and then pull it up again. Um, well, the the follow-on question from that is, if you were going to do like relatively frequent push phases or you were going to do prolonged phases of pushing, do you think that would necessitate changes in volume? Like, Do you think somebody could do su- like successive push phases that are of similar total set volume to just general strength development phases without burning out? I think I think you can, yes, if you undulate the intensity in the easy sessions like we've mm-hmm. spoken about and also if you have like that easy intro week or if someone really needs it more of a deload right. um, in the first week. Um, do you think there are implications for development of trying to introduce more more of this type of pushing phase as opposed to just general base building stuff in off seasons or do you think it's a net positive? I think if we have enough time, like if we're looking at a nine-month prep, which is the case of Potsy, mm. um, then I think it's fine because he's done so much of that base building work. He's probably That's probably run its course and it's probably time to get into higher intensity work and see where he's at because he's made so much progress in those early base building blocks. <laughs> I'm just trying to psych Alex out because he was on such a roll. <laughs> Go on. He's, because he's made so much progress in those early base... <laughs> <laughs> you completely lost it. <laughs> because he's made so much prog- progress in those early base building blocks like it's a good idea to get an indication of where he's at yeah and like if I were to go and give him like um, regular sets of five in the 80 or 75 to 85% range 75 to 83% range he would absolutely smoke them and it wouldn't be enough work for him to get productively better yeah because his max is probably 10 to 15 kilos more than it was last time for each lift yeah I guess what I anticipated that you might say in response to that is not what you said what I anticipated that you might say is that if you if you are so fixated on trying to push peak intensity all the time that you don't get the just work work under your belt that you have to do to get better, then you won't. Then in the long term, you might not develop as much strength as you ought to. But what you said was to mix metaphors really good, which is basically like you got to bake a cake before you can eat it, right? You do a lot of work, you like you build up that area under the curve, and then it's almost like you've drawn back a slingshot. I'm going to mix so many metaphors in here, you're going to love it. So you're drawn back a slingshot, you go rocketing out of that slingshot, right? You've come out of the blocks real hard. And then you have you have that momentum to ride, right? You've got to surf the wave from that slingshot on the cake that you've built. <laughs> um, and after you've, after you've done that base building work, you can capitalize on it a little bit. You do a bit of this range finding work. You still get some of the work under your belt that you have to. And when your working weights start catching up with your capability again, then you can pull back from these pushing phases and start doing more base building work again. Is that how you would conceive it? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, and if 
in the case Can you of please answer this with reference to my metaphors no i'm i'm like i was like alan in the hangover <laughs> with the like numbers in the background <laughs> counting cards that was yeah. me listening to that yeah um yeah you have to again again look at the context of the lifter like in potsy's instance he's quite close to maximizing his hypertrophy for this off season because he's put on like quite a bit of weight how much did he put on, like 8 kilos or something? Well, he was 81 in, in April. He's about 86, so... I thought he got up to, like, 89. I don't know why I thought that. No, nah, he's about 86. Okay, it's not that big. Um, But, like, the room for him to grow more muscle mass um, right now probably isn't there. We probably need to build in that peak intensity and then come back to it yep. when we get back into a full off season. So, in that instance, we can afford to push, yep. and we can afford to push intensity so long as we have enough undulation along the weeks and uh, session to session. Um, but if that was someone who was like sort of in the lower end of their weight class or someone sort of in the middle intermediate phases, we probably wouldn't do the push phase at all. We probably would just continue building and continue building. Again, because you just want to lay that foundation of general work and muscle building down rather than capitalizing on the muscle that's there. Yeah, that's right. Like Potsy's been doing that base building work for five years now, like, yep. you know, with the occasional powerlifting peak in there. Yeah. So he's probably ready for something like this. And the same thing applies for, for Nick Walters as well. So that's actually all the uh, discussion about these programs I really wanted to do. Um, Should we take a break? No, because I have a couple of summative questions and then I think we can take a break. Or do you really need one? No. Okay, good. So, <laughs> um, no, a couple of you summative questions. Like the do a number one? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, no. Summative questions of this is... You on your Q and A yesterday, you said you've had this recent shift towards pushing people in their off seasons, and that it's been very productive. What actually led you to that realization? Um, I don't know exactly. That's a good question. I'm not sure. Well, I, like as in, I take it that you didn't completely randomly decide to do something. You didn't say, "I'm kind of fucking bored of being a coach, so I'm just going to do it differently." Like, was was there an observation that you made across your athletes or trends in development or was it something you may, maybe heard from other coaches that sort of started those light bulbs ticking in your head? Light bulbs ticking? Light bulbs flickering. Clocks ticking. Go on. Um, Surf the cake, I think I think it has a lot, little bit to do with sort of the stuff that we've spoken about a little bit with hypertrophy training and that we have to push a little bit closer to failure, mm-hmm. sort of to sort of reap those gains like with that effect similar to that effective reps model yep. it's like the reps that matter are the ones sort of closer to failure and I feel like when I compare the programs I've given people in the past it's a little bit submaximal, mm-hmm. and in particular during developmental blocks and then once we get through those higher volume developmental blocks it was kind of like alright let's ramp intensity now when I think that's a little bit backwards and my approach is kind of shifted a little bit now in that um, we're getting in a lot of difficult work in the building phases now and then that's sort of carrying through to a peak where we're already closer to the weights we're going to hit in the peak and then we can kind of pull back on difficulty and focus on honing the skill so I think it's a little bit of it's a little bit of a different approach to to what I've done in the past and I think like it's worked really really well mm. in just people putting on muscle but also like building momentum and gaining confidence and all those kind of things good example of a time when i'm not going to know exactly what i'm going to say when i start saying it so strap yourself in alex it's a big cake to be served right now out of a slingshot so (laughs) um i think 
as coaches, we often look at... I wrote an article that pretty much said the same thing as this during the week. We look at the outcomes that we get from our athletes through the lens of the narrative that we created to like justify the way that we went to train people, which is to say like we we say okay i'm like you know i've got this person in front of me i think they need this and like for this reason it'll work and this is what i want to see from them and then if they get the results that you were hoping for at the end you go well my reasoning must have been correct because they got the results whereas in reality what happened is what you did worked and you don't know for certain why you just know that it worked i think when and this is something philosophically i've begun like i've changed about the way i coached to be a little bit more in line with you or at least how you certainly were prior to very recently. Um, I would give people reasonably easy work, maybe slightly harder than you typically would, but reasonably easy work in their off season. And then as they'd lead into comp, we would start pushing things a little bit more. Their sessions would get subjectively harder. They'd get way stronger. Then they'd do a comp. They'd have made good results. And I would say, well, that hard work must have capitalized on the easy work that preceded it really well i still believe that to a degree but it must have capitalized on that easy work really well um therefore the easy work's really important whereas in reality it might have just been that like having concentrated periods of hard loading followed by like or you know preceded by concentrated periods of slightly easier loading is just a good like general athlete management strategy and that the hard work is actually what got them stronger and the easy work just allowed them to get through some training and do other things productively and be be healed and healthy for the hard work and if that were true then that might have different implications for how i ought to train people where when there is time like you said for people to recuperate after a push phase it would be worth doing things like that that are genuinely really hard in order to build their capacities um prior to peaking does that make sense yeah that makes sense yeah and so i think i guess how that tied into what i said about narratives is like it's it's important that you entertain i guess potential counterfactual arguments against your own thinking like say okay well what i did worked it might have worked for this reason it might have worked for that reason i don't really know you can systematically test those ideas maybe or you can just be cautious in the inferences that you draw because like like you said you've done something that's contrary to what you thought might have worked in the past has worked really well has changed the way in which you now approach training right yeah and i think when i now that you've made me reflect um on this i think it only applies to my lifters who are like in the middling intermediate and onwards phases yeah like an because obviously when I first started coaching, like it was coaching mostly beginners and it was it was the kind of idea that grease their technique with lots of easy, really easy reps, keep lots of reps in reserve and just keep them progressing along. And like that was what got results for beginners and it obviously still does, but those were the population that I dealt with at the time. So that was my idea of lifters. Yeah. So now that I've got some more advanced lifters, it requires a little bit more push and pull with when we push and when we don't push and a little bit more thought into like building particular um, capabilities in a given training block, whether it be really pushing work capacity and then really pushing hypertrophy and then really giving them a push to see where they're at and then prepping them for a comp. So I think it kind of like has me sort of zoom out a little bit and look at the broader perspective of the lifter and then fitting the... Um, the program around the lifter versus just applying the same program to every individual yeah because what you're describing is like um it seems true you know you look at like you look at beginners they get better from nearly nothing like don't know how to squat practice squatting you're better at squatting you know don't have any muscle do some pretty easy work you'll grow muscle like that's obviously the case whereas more advanced people do need work that's just 
like it will be subjectively harder for them but also objectively it is just harder and you know if we go back to the example of ray williams like no he's not doing fives with 70 percent or whatever because he might die but he still does like pretty crazy heavy singles um you know he squats i think once a week doesn't he is that correct he does each lift once a week yeah because it's like it would bury him for him to do it a lot more but those sessions are touching pretty high intensities like you know once you're actually reasonably strong i think you probably do need to touch reasonably heavy intensities for a protracted period of time to get stronger and when we spoke about the programming the advanced athlete um or when we spoke in programming the advanced athlete that episode that's one of the things we said might be an argument for periodization is if you did that forever you might burn out or get hurt but you probably do need those concentrated blocks of hard work we said that then and now you're saying you've put it in action with a couple of lifters who are reasonably highly qualified and they've done really really well off it yep um cool and then we've spoken about the demands on athletes um, in terms of psychology. You said it wasn't enormously different. Would there be any um, precautions, any times when you might advise against doing a pushing phase like this? Um, I think for lifters who can be a little bit volatile emotionally, mm. it might be something to stay away from. Like it's better to keep them doing stuff that's a little bit more predictable yep. versus giving them a chance to display what they have and potentially fail but that's the only drawback i can really see yeah i think um this is the thing people who are volatile emotionally are just harder to coach i Um, think although what i will say is if you are training someone in person mm -hmm. even if they are extremely emotionally volatile it can be an option to still do something like this so long as you sort of take the reins on which numbers they pick and pick and when they stop their reps yeah if you make the decision it's going to be much less risky but yeah people who are volatile emotionally what i was going to say is one of the reasons they're hard to coach is um is if you give them chances to push themselves in the off season they have chances to fail ruminate on it and you know hate themselves and like the world's going to end and all that shit um but if you shelter them too much from stuff that's potentially challenging then when competition's coming around they're just not mentally prepared for that and then sometimes they you know fail and hate everything and things at competition instead and so it's sort of like you got to choose your poison like do you do you expose them to something that might make them yeah might make them have a negative emotional response so that they're prepared for it later and you vaguely know what to expect or do you not do it at all and then run the risk of being like unpleasantly surprised at comp day i'm not certain which one's better yet i think it's probably better to push them when they're further out from a competition because like we said those are the times when those are the times when it really matters but also those are the times when it's least likely they're going to fuck up yeah true like if they're if their weights are between 75 and 85% like it's pretty like it's pretty likely that they won't fail yeah whereas if it's a peaking phase and you give them a chance to to push and it's 90 95% then we may have some problems yeah that's true i guess um that's actually all i had to ask about those programs um sweet thank you for writing them we'll take a very quick break and we'll come back for underrated overrated properly rated Oh my god! <laughs> that could be the transition itself. Just weekly weights. Kablamo! Nice, dude. Thanks, man. No, I just I've like lost my mojo. I used to be like so psyched to say that word, and now I just feel like there's a lot of expectation riding on me. Um, the we're doing overrated, underrated, probably rated. I'm great eating, segment. Great. It's okay. The best. <laughs> also, you know what else Peak Speak stole from us? What? They the four do, questions not they this. ask every guest. You're shitting I'm me. I'm not shitting you. They actually do that. You probably haven't even got that far in one of their episodes. No, I cut it end. off. It's pretty trashy, to be honest. I listened to the one with Ed Cohen, and he and was just talking them, about, like, One of the questions is, who would you take to dinner? You're kidding. Honestly, Peak Speak... 
I'm going to write to them because like they could just come on as our interns at any time. Um, what a joke. Pathetic. Yeah, guys, please do write to Peak Speak. Very angry. Even hashtag it frustrated weekly weights fan, which is a subtle jab at Tom. Definitely Thomas. Sorry, he doesn't like being called Tom. Definitely being frustrated. <laughs> what if we call him Tommy? Do you reckon he likes Tommy? Probably not. I'll ask him. I'll just mistakenly call him anything. Tommy, Tomo, Thompson. And Johnny. Um, Tommy and Johnny. We're doing, we're doing this segment. Um, Alex, underrated, overrated, probably rated. Chains. Like My- in a powerlifting context, no other contexts. Um, like lifting context, okay. to be fair. In general, overrated. Okay. But I think they've gone through phases. Yeah. I love that you always have a temporal aspect to your thing. It's like the worm in political debates. Like, it goes up and down. Yeah. Um, I think they were way too overrated. Mm-hmm. And, like, obviously in the West, well, that's multiply, so probably probably rated over there. But when people started doing raw lifting, it was like people followed West Side programming and it was like chains for max effort and bands for speed day and whatever. Mm. So tremendously overrated. Yeah. And then I think the pendulum swung the other fu- the other direction. What, where now people think they're and just completely useless? Everyone's bashing them. Yeah. Which I think is probably closer to the correct stance. <laughs> just vindicate. Just if you bash them, you have indicated that they're bash worthy. Yeah. So I would say slightly overrated. Slightly overrated for raw, still. For raw powerlifting, slightly overrated. So, you say slightly overrated because there are pockets of the lifting community that still use them, or you're saying slightly overrated because, like, even the people who don't use them are too generous in saying they might have use, or what? I need some qualification. I think just because of the impact that Westside Barber has had on the lifting community in general, I think they're still too widely used Mm -hmm. for what they should be, which, in my opinion, is pretty much never in lifting. Right. I, and then even even then there's like smart people like Mike Teixeira using them I was gonna say which is like I don't know like just because someone smart uses them doesn't make them a useful tool and like just because someone someone whose ideas you usually agree with does something it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to agree with them yeah so I think maybe the pendulum swung in the other direction when they, when people started to see someone like Mike Teixeira using them and then think, oh, maybe there is a use for them without using their own brain and coming up with it, their opinion on their own. Mm. But my opinion is that they have pretty much no use in raw powerlifting. So, I guess, overrated. So, I have this like... I'm, I try to be more generous now. I used to be like a gleeful West Side basher. Um, I went first I thought they were awesome because my first exposure to powerlifting was Elite FTS um, which is like you know it's like the Pravda of West Side, like it's just propaganda um, but also like you know lots of useful information they spoke about it I was like this is how you train for powerlifting then like you know I got woke inverted commas and was like West Side's got shitty ideas now I sometimes think about things that they've like things that they've said or ideas that people have taken from West Side and I think, like, more generously, like, when they have worked for people, how could they have worked or why could they have worked? Because obviously there are occasions when they do. It's not impossible to get stronger training in a West Side fashion. And obviously in some respects they just satisfy the basic principles of training. But 
in terms of things like bands, one of the one of the sort of downsides of when we like lift weights. So say when you squat and bench press, especially though it's true for deads as well, um, is there's like a necessary deceleration as you approach the top of a lift, right? If you do any sub-maximal lifting, you have to slow down or else you'd throw the bar when you bench press. Um, and so an argument people make for for um, for accommodating re- resistance training or for explosive training and stuff is that you don't have that reduction in force production at the top of the lift. Um, and so maybe it's worth using chains in that context, maybe. And likewise, maybe if you are somebody who needs to strengthen their lockout for the bench but wants to deload the bottom portion and still wants to go through a long stroke, maybe it's worth using chains then. Yeah, and- but my opinion of that is like in raw lifting, the difficult part of the lift is the bottom so if we're making the top hard and making the hard bit easy what's the point of that like we're, well, we're making the easy part harder for no reason well okay well i'm doing bench press off blocks right now you wrote that in my program yeah so that is not making the bottom bit easy it's getting rid of the bottom bit it's yeah but that's yeah but as in like that's semantically different but you could still just train the bottom bit extremely submaximally still have practice through that range and have to practice accelerating into the top bit, that's the purpose of the chains, there might be a benefit to that, you know? Like, I'm I'm asking you to be generous in your appraisal of the idea, not to reverse your stance. I'm not... I'm not... Like, I'm not bashing using, ba- using chains or bands. Mm. I'm just saying that I don't see the use for it. Right. Like, I'm like, not saying I personally that, don't program them because it's I'm not saying that anyone who uses them is a fucking idiot and, like, well, you don't know be shit. That's a nice hot take. Because, like that's not true like people have different opinions if you can justify something in your system then sure it can fit in your system like just like you and I like using pause deadlifts mm. Thomas Lee doesn't like using pause deadlifts well I like using pause deadlifts in limited contexts only though yeah same as me and I'm sure for other people they would have bands and chains in very limited context yeah so if the context um arrives and you can justify it in your system, go for it. Well, here's But I can't find any context or I haven't come across any context in my experience that would have me using them. Here's another example of a West Side idea that I used to hate that I now generously appreciate might have use, but I have elected not to use myself because I just find other ways to get around the same issue. So part of the justification for rotating exercises, so you know when you do max effort and you have like say three or four variations you go through, yeah. was to prevent accommodation, right? You just, you just go in and when you're having breakfast with the boys, you decide which lift you're going to do that morning. Yeah, some shit like that. <laughs> but like, as in the way in which people talk about it, it's pretty dumb. But like, you know, you prevent accommodation. So like you, you don't get, you don't stagnate um, in terms of your response to a movement. That's number one. And then number two is this kind of convoluted idea that you you use a lift that is most taxing on the weak points of your lifting to strengthen the weak points um, because if you strengthen those builder lifts the ones that address your weak points then you contribute to your maximal strength package so you know you have a non-specific lift that's more specific to your weaknesses you cycle through a number of them so you so you never get stale from that lift and you get better I don't believe that to be true at all I don't neither. like no neither just I could go in, go into it but like forget it doesn't matter don't like don't believe that to be true but what I do think to be true from a motor learning standpoint is what we spoke about last week, which is that idea of information movement coupling, which is where you become sensitive to novel information in the motor environment. So if you do subtle variations of the same lift, so, so 
you know, like even what we were talking about with poor squats, that's the example we used last week. You're not actually doing something that's different in any wholesale manner to a squat. Like a squat's a squat. You're just, you're just doing it with a very slight tweak. Yeah, you're just stopping. Yeah, so if you were to cycle through doing max effort, normal squats, pause squats, pin squats, and tempo descent squats. So say your issue was in your bottom position and descent. If you were to cycle through doing all them, you're actually fundamentally doing the same thing. Like it's a variation, but it's not, it's not like you're not squatting for four weeks at a time. If you were to fund, like if you were to cycle through them, you would you would be getting novel motor information each time. So at least in some theory, you might contribute to a little bit of learning about that movement by exposure to those variations, right? And you're still strengthening the same overall pattern. It's not completely far fetched to me that that might be a useful way of going about it. But I've just happened to find it useful to have days that are concentrated to doing the competition lift and days that are concentrated to doing secondary lifts that address the issues that people have and just change them on a slightly longer time frame but like generously i can see that idea having merit just like i say generously i can see training with chains to have merit i just don't happen to do it myself you know yeah i understand what you're saying so that's why i can't say that i think they're overrated i think if people think they have merit they're probably properly rated if people are like, I must use them to get stronger, then they're probably underrated. But I think most of the raw communities now, like so anti-West side, they might almost be underrated from me. Well, I think it goes back to what your opinion of them is. So yeah. if you, like you just said, can't see the use for them. No, it's not I can't see the use for them. It's I can see a use for them. I just achieve the same thing different ways because it's not, it's not easy for people to just whack chains on a bar and train. I'm not against them. So then, in that, so then they are overrated. If you found a different use, they're not overrated. I'm just like they're a tool they have a use. It's like a hammer's overrated. No, you need them to hit nails. But if you found something else that can achieve the same thing and it's more efficient and it's easier for the person, yeah, but that's a context. That's a judgment of context, not a judgment of the tool. Okay, I just they're not useless. They're not they're not out and out ne- like a necessity though. Absolutely not. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, I know. But I just think that that makes them overrated. All right. Well, the fact we'll, that people consider them a necessity. So, this if is If people consider them a. This, but there are some people who consider them a necessity. Yeah, then overrated. And that makes them. them, that makes them, based on what I believe, overrated. Yeah, absolutely. If you believe they're a necessity, overrated. If you're like, oh, I guess you could use them, properly rated. Fair enough. Okay. You had one for me, finally. Okay, you ready? Yeah. <laughs> we spent a long time thinking of this one. I'm so ready. Overrated, underrated, or properly rated? Alico. <laughs> That's such a shit one. Why is it shit? Okay, so the owner of Lift Performance Center where Alex and I work is the Alico distributor. Um, so obviously it's it's underrated. If anything, everyone should have more Alico. Alico is so good. Definitely buy more of it. Um, <laughs> having gotten my mandatory Alico promotion out of the way uh, it's somewhere between properly rated and underrated because I genuinely think their equipment is about the best equipment there is like it's really really good stuff but it's very expensive and I've now competed using equipment of another manufacturer Samtech a couple of times I've lifted with Titan plates and things it's still a bar and plates I actually quite liked the Samtech bar for deadlifting though it felt a tiny bit bendy when I was squatting um so, you know, I don't think I don't think it's like an out and out night and day difference between actual powerlifting spec equipment 
in terms of like, you know, when we rate Alico. But if you compare it to commercial gym bars, like I thought people were being um, were being like soft. Princessy, yeah. Yeah, when they were like, oh, it makes such a difference to train on comp equipment because I did all my training at Fitness First on a shit bendy bar that like didn't rotate and stuff for ages. And when I started lifting on comp equipment more regularly, which was Alico, it was like I didn't rip my hands as much deadlifting. Squats felt so much more stable on my back. Like having a proper bench that I could unrack from the correct height was like like an enormous difference. So I think it's a, this is a bit of a context-dependent question. In terms of like purely for competition spec equipment, it's good. It's probably properly rated. It's quite expensive. It's a financial decision as to whether you'd buy it. But when it's like doesn't make a difference compared to commercial gym equipment for genuine powerlifting training like properly rated it's really really good you know what i mean i love how you said it was a shitty a shit one and then you went on a rant for three minutes and explained it so it was actually a good discussion yeah well it wasn't a discussion it was a monologue do you agree with what i had to say i agree in principle but i'm gonna go into i certainly agree with what you said about comparing it to um commercial gym equipment yeah but i think for the price point overrated although the rack and bench is the best Better than Samtech, better than ER. Oh, wait. Yeah, the Samtech rack is not as good as the Alico one. I think the rack itself is actually equally good. Um, I think the bench isn't as good. It's a little bit higher, a little bit squishy. I didn't mind the squish factor. That not was as okay. good as the Alico bench. Yep. Uh, the barbell is the best barbell. The Alico barbell. The Alico is barbell the is the best barbell. Yep. But it's also twice the price of a Samtech bar, almost four times the price of a Rogue rogue higher bar mm-hmm. and it's probably only 10 10 to 15% better yeah so in that context it's probably a little bit overrated even though it's the best you have a really like rationalist economic approach to this whole thing where you basically say like what is the exact utility benefit of something compare it to the exact price discrepancy that's not quite the same thing but he's kind of alluding to it yeah you basically just compare the price discrepancy to the utility discrepancy and then make an entirely objective like you know, this is the return you get on your investment with it, therefore overrated. Yeah, um, I'm not quite done. Okay, no go. Um, comp plates. Yeah. Doesn't fucking matter what comp plates you use. They're all, <laughs> they're all exactly the same. Provided they weigh stuff. Yeah. So Goliath's probably the best in that Why? because they're, they're the cheaper. cheapest. Yep. Um, although the Alico plates look the best. I was going to say. They're the best colors. The Goliath plates, their red is kind of like a it's bit It's like off. a maroon, yeah. yeah and the, a... the Samtech's like a bit maroney and then the green's like a bit black. Yeah, I don't like the that. The yellow's a bit like orange. Mm. Alico colors are the best. And they age kind of well, the Alico ones as well. Like when they get old, they're kind of like, they maintain the integrity of what color is. And they know? look rugged. <laughs> they do look rugged. Um, Alico regular gym equipment, like Alico sells like um, squat stands and like weightlifting platforms. Adjustable and like benches. Kettlebells, adjustable benches. Yeah. Um, the adjustable benches are really good. Man. They are really good, but they are really expensive. Yeah, but again, like, like they are really expensive. That's obviously an important factor. But people who are fitting out their gym with Alico gear, like they're choosing to spend money on it. And the question is, like, are you getting a an appreciably better product for that money? In most instances, I actually think they're getting an appreciably better product. It's just that it happens to be very expensive. So it's like, how much money do you have to fit out your gym with? Like, and is it going to be the difference between you getting a new piece of equipment that's going to add utility to your gym or just upgrading your adjustable benches and you're still going to cover everything you want to get? That's that's how I would think of it. Yeah, the way I would look at it if I was fitting out a gym would be like, what's the best bang for buck per, per item? Mm-hmm. And 
in those, I'd probably choose the rack before anything else, the rack and the bench. Yeah, sure. And then I'd use cheaper bars and plates to go along with them. Yeah. Um, the Alico collars are also heaps better than the rest. Rogue collars suck. They're those like old weightlifting ones that twist. Yeah, yeah they're not good. Um, and the Samtech ones are the same. Mm. Yeah, I think um, going back to the commercial gym discussion that I had, the Rogue Ohio Power Bar. So 550 bucks, great investment. Yeah, your old client, Alex Sutton, used to have one that he stored in a cupboard yep. at Fitness First Willoughby. And even the difference between that and a normal Fitness First bar and I'm talking like post-upgrade fitness first bars that most people would presume to be good. Yeah, those Iron Edge power bars aren't too bad. They're okay. But, but, they, didn't even, have, but they didn't have any of them at Willoughby. They only had them at Bondi. Yeah, but I would train with them at Bondi as well. Yeah. So when I used that Rogue bar, that was a very marked difference. So even a small step up in quality from probably base commercial gym equipment is going to make a really meaningful impact on how good or easy your training feels, or at least I think so. Yeah, I agree. But whether you have to have go the whole hog or not, I'm not sure. Anyway, that's all I have to say on that one. Do you have anything more to add on Alico? Um, I'm going to take that as a no. Alico clothes? Have you seen them? Yeah, they're Performance actually pretty line? good. Look good. Yeah, and the shirts are really comfy. Yep. Okay. That's been Weekly Ways for the week. Guys, if you're not on the mailing list already, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trigger three, three initial email batches for these programs. One goes out for people who are already on the mailing list, so you should have it. If you don't have it, check your junk one will go out the monday after this episode came out so again if you're listening after that date um never fear because i'm going to trigger a third one the monday after that so that if you want these programs and somehow you've gotten this far into the episode and don't already have them you can check your emails on monday week and hopefully you'll have them then all right um anyway i'm will w.bergmanpt i'm alex alex hayes underscore process chat to you guys next week